Welcome back to the MicroConf podcast. This week's MicroConf refresh episode where we look back at a prior MicroConf talk comes to us from MicroConf Remote held September 1st of 2020, just a few months ago. Today's talk is called Between Two Plants, We Stole Off of Someone's Patio, where I interview Andy Martin. He is the founder of Blue Rhythm. He's a Minneapolis native, and he joined me live in the studio. We socially distanced, of course, but we had a MicroConf remote studio, and we had a chat about his experience building Blue Rhythm on the back of a successful career supporting large-scale projects. And in fitting with our desire for novelty and, and really interesting set pieces for MicroConf Remote, where we didn't just want it to be a series of speakers broadcasting from their bedrooms, we did rent a studio, and producer Xander actually found a friend of a friend here in town who had two big ferns, and we put them on the edges of the stage, and Andy and I sat between them as an homage to a set piece or a show that, that you may be well familiar with. So this is a fun conversation with a first-time SaaS founder where we hear about his struggles to get the company started, working on it for, for a few years on his own, trying to solve a pain point that he saw at his day job, and then applying to Tiny Seed and the progress that he's made being part of Batch 2. So hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andy Martin. Mr. Martin, how you doing, sir? Very well. Happy to be here. This is Andy Martin. He has over 10 years of technical and management experience in building, designing, and constructing control systems and project management. Most of that was a mouthful. Most of which were with mission critical facilities like data centers and hospitals. He holds a master's of science in software engineering from the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, which of course is why he can join me here today because he's local to the cities. And you will know that we are properly socially distancing, even though it looks uh, like we're far away. Um, he has had full responsibility for tons of scopes of work, uh, including PL on many multi million dollar complex contracts, like data centers, hospitals, and even an NFL stadium. And I can guess which one that is, I think. Take a wild guess, you'll probably be pretty wild close. guess. He can't tell anyone, but you know, we live here at uh, where the Vikings play. So, Andy is the president and founder of Blue Rhythm, which is SaaS focused on streamlining mission critical and commercial commissioning efforts. And so people who have no idea what that is, I'm going to talk a little bit. So I was a, uh, an electrician for just like a, the blink of an eye before I decided I wanted to go write code for a living. And I remember on one of these things, so we were installing pipe and running wire. And I remember we built a big data center in the, and I say we, I was like an apprentice, right? But we built a big data center in the Bay Area. And I had to carry around this clipboard and I had to follow an engineer around. And it was a big checklist of all this stuff as they would turn on the, the uninterruptible power supplies, the UPSs, and then they would turn the generator on and they'd make sure that the fail-safe tripped and there was an automatic switch breaker and blah, blah, blah. And you had to test all this crap because once it's live and you have a 1,000 servers in there, it can't break, yep. right? And so that's commissioning. Yep. And that's what Blue Rhythm does is it takes that clipboard or the five clipboards that we used to carry around and all the paper yep. that we then had to fax to people, right? That's how old I am. And it puts it into SaaS. Exactly. Is that the idea? Exactly, yeah. It's just a, it's a project management tool for that specific situation. So, you know, if you're the person building the data center, you might hire uh, somebody who's one of our customers. And our customers will take our software and they'll go through their checklist. Uh, it'll create the reports for them and it's really kind of automate everything. Right. And I love it because it's such a niche, right? There's, there's so much value in not, you know, you're not competing against... Um, whatever, MailChimp is an ESP, or, you know, these other big players, Google, like, you've picked such a small slice that really, you know, Microsoft's not going to come build commissioning software, right. you know, or Google or Facebook. Like, right. you are in a place, obviously, you have big, bigger competitors than you, but um, it's not something that they're going to come and attack. 
And you, I asked you about MRR. Um, you're in your five-figure MRR, which for folks who are counting, it's that means ten thousand dollars or more in MRR, just to give you an idea of you know of where he lands. Um, your yeah, your Minneapolis based. I think we already mentioned that, which is why we can hang out. And really, my first serious question for you is: longboard or shortboard, sir? Actually, wakeboard. Wakeboard. Western kid. That's uh, that's kind of what I've grown up doing, and actually did around this past weekend, which I'm still feeling the effects a of. Little store from yeah. So a wakeboard, you pull on the back of a boat, right, and you yep. stand up on it. So yep. it's it's as close as you can kind of get to surfing on the. Yeah, lake. exactly. That's how you surf in the Midwest, yeah. I guess. Ten thousand lakes. You don't have much tide for a longboard. So obviously, this was a pain point, you know, to build Blue Rhythm, like the origin story. Since you were involved in this commissioning, this was a pain point that you were experiencing. But you weren't a developer. I know you had toyed around with some stuff. But like, what made you think that you could build the prototype of Blue Rhythm not having ever built, you know, really built production code? Yeah, so I guess I didn't know for sure that I could, but I also didn't know that I couldn't. So I really just wanted to try. Um, so that's what I did. I just kind of started tinkering at first and just kind of testing the waters. I tested the mark a little bit. I did some outreach, um, just put some feelers out, and it just kept building and building, and I got good response from people and decided to just keep at it. Yeah. Yep. And so when you started building Blue Rhythm, was there existing software already doing this? And if so, why did you think, you know, what edge did you think you had? What did you think you could do better? Sure. So, yeah, there, there were some existing solutions out there. So that gave me just a little bit of confidence that there, there was a market. You know, there was people paying money for a solution like this. Um, but the, the existing options were either real old legacy platforms that were kind of on the downslope of their, their life cycle. Um, or there's a, there's a couple newer, real modern SaaS, you know, web-based uh, web platforms that are out there. And um, they just have real clunky pricing models. They're not as easy to do business with. Uh, so I felt like there was an opportunity to, to get in. It's not a saturated market. Um, over half of this industry is not using a, a SaaS solution right now. They're using a combination of homegrown tools, access databases, maybe some cloud file storage. So lots of opportunity for them to streamline and really come on board with a you know, modern web platform to manage yeah. their projects. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. And so how, in an industry like this, obviously you're not going to be able to run... Um, I shouldn't say not, but I, I would guessing, I'm guessing Facebook ads is not going to work in your space, you know, and even like Google AdWords and LinkedIn are going to be a tough, they're going to be tough traffic channels. So, you know, are there a couple kind of lead gen avenues that have really worked for you? Yeah, it's, it's been tricky. It's still, it still is tricky. Um, so w whatever we do, it just has to be very, very targeted. So yes, Facebook ads are difficult. Um, we're trying some different things with um, just promoting uh, blog posts to a retargeted audience or lookalike audiences, so still very, very narrow. Um, same thing with, with Google Ads. So any paid, paid acquisition, we're, we're keeping it very small, uh, very focused. And the things that have really, I think, moved the needle are kind of the in-person events. So we go to industry conferences. It's such a small community that if you're not at those events, you're really kind of not part of the, the industry and the, and the community. So, you know, last year, once we, once we started showing up to those events, it really just gets our name out there. People see that we're serious and we're, we're here to stay and, and make a long-term push uh, in the market. So the in-person events at conferences, you know, setting up a booth, talking to people face-to-face, -face, and cold outreach has been a, a good channel for us, too, um, which is difficult, and there's some good and bad ways to do that, but um, had some success there. Just some people just, you know, aren't, aren't aware or... Um, just aren't currently, you know, in the mindset where they're looking. So they just need to, that little extra prompt to, to get them interested. Yep. 
Yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, I'll hear people say that, let's say, cold email is dead or that, um, you know, trade shows and events aren't worth it. But in these small niches where there are only thousands of potential customers, you know, or maybe tens of thousands, but there aren't that many, mm -hmm. that oftentimes that still works. You know, if yep. you're trying to cold email, um, I'm trying to, th you know, if you're trying to cold email startup founders today, or, or startup executives or whatever, that's a, it's pretty saturated. It's still possible you can, but it, it takes a lot of time. But in a space like that, that maybe isn't inundated, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of, of room there. Yep. So you started working on Blue Ribbon part-time about four years ago. It was 2016. Um, you toiled part-time for two years. And you, you know, you told me offline before we chatted, you had a bunch of beta users coming really early. They would come in, they'd use it, and they would churn out. Yep. What was going on there? What was the issue? Because I'm sure there are folks listening right now who are in exactly the same position that you were two years ago. Yeah, so for better or worse, I, I took the path of getting something put together, getting a usable product. I don't know if you call it an MVP or not, but getting something there where people could come in and use it. Um, so I was, I was just testing the product, testing to see what, what people would respond to. Um, and I got a huge amount of feedback. So... Uh, it's, it's not an approach that, that would work or I would advise in all situations, but um, for me, never having started a, a business before, let alone a software company, getting, that, getting all that feedback early on really drove the direction that uh, we ended up taking the company. And I think without that feedback, we would have toiled a lot longer and, and had a lot more difficulty reaching the point where we finally feel like we have product market fit, um, where we've figured out these different marketing channels and stuff. So just lots of experimentation and some of those early adopters that are willing to give us a try, they're also willing to you know, tell you how bad it sucks or give you some, some feedback that'll get you going in the right direction. So um, that's, that's really what it, what it was. It just was a product that, that wasn't quite ready yet. Mm -hmm. And you know, so many developers that I know go in their basement for two years and just code and they don't have anybody use the app. Mm -hmm. Whereas you went counter to that. It sounds like intuitively your natural instinct was to let people use it early. Again, that's, even back in the day, that was not my instinct because I was scared and I, it was never good enough and it was never there. What, why do you think you did that? Why do you think you did the opposite of what most people do? Um, par partly for the reasons I said and partly just out of ignorance. Um, <laughs> honestly, there were a couple times where I, I thought we had got it to a point where it was going to work and it was good enough, so to speak. Uh, but it wasn't, and those were the, just in terms of rejection and uh, just the emotional response that I had, those were some of the, the toughest times, but, um, uh, you know, I, I just stuck with it, and I was like, you know, there's, there's a response, people want this, if I keep at it, eventually we'll get this figured out, and eventually they'll, you know, the, the, the feedback will shift more to more <laughs> positive versus more negative. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about. You spent two years part-time, obviously you were probably working a day job, right? And you had yeah. nights and weekends working on Blue Rhythm. Two years is a long time. You're mm -hmm. getting rejection. People are churning out. Why didn't you quit? I think there was always enough momentum uh, for me to keep pushing forward. And, and I just had a strong desire to make it work. I'd always wanted to have something that I, that I owned, that I created. I just liked the, the, the process of creating and getting the feedback even though it's not always good and, and, and taking that, adding it into the product and then getting the feedback that says, hey, that's great, thanks for, thanks for doing that. Um, so just the, just the desire to see it, to see it through and to, to, to see it work and just knowing that the market was there. You know, it wasn't like I was trying to convince people to, to do something that they had never thought of or seen before. Right.
Yeah. And then it was just about a year ago, it was mid-2019, that you, you kind of call your soft launch, right, where mm -hmm. you actually feel like you kind of went all in. Um, you said this is when things started growing for you. And I'm curious, is that when you went full-time? It is, yeah, May last year. May of last year. Yep. And did you have enough revenue to cover your you know, expenses, or did you have savings, or did you just jump off the diving? Um, yeah, I didn't, wasn't quite at a point where the, the business alone would have um, kept me going. So I had a fallback plan, which was some savings, which I did use some of. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but yeah, I, I just had confidence that we were close enough to, to product market fit that it was going to work. Yep. Um, just because of our, who our customers are and, and how our pricing model works, it makes sense most of the time for people to pay annually. Mm -hmm. So even though our MRR, you know, is maybe in four figures, the actual amount of money coming in the door was, yep. you know, in five fig figures potentially or, or higher four figures. So um, I just I just had confidence that it was going to work out one way or another. And, you know, worst case, I, like I told you, I end up living in my parents' basement for a little bit, but... <laughs> that happens. It, it, sacrifices uh, we make, right? As yeah. Entrepreneurs, yeah. So... Pulled the trigger. I figured if, if I'm going to make it work, I gotta I gotta be all in, and, and that's the that's when I jumped off. Yep. And I, so he he just said a, a pretty cool hack that I've heard many people mention. I've actually done it myself. Jason Cohen talked about it um, in in one of the best talks about bootstrapping uh, ever, called backing. What is it? Yeah, building the ideal bootstrap business, I believe. But it's the annual prepay. And if you're in a space where as a bootstrapper, you can get your customers to annually prepay. You typically give them two months off is how, you know, I would often work it. So you give them about a 16 mm -hmm. and two thirds percent discount. Um, then your cash flow is way more than your MRR, but that can allow you to either hire someone or allows you to quit your day job or whatever it is. I'm curious. So you had this two years of just to two or three years of kind of toiling part time and um, struggling. People are churning out. Then you you had enough traction that you're like, I think we're almost at product market fit. And, and then you did, you have achieved it at this point. Um, what changed between that early high, those early high churn days and the past 12 months of kind of as your growth has accelerated? Like what's, what's different? Yeah, I, I can't point to one specific thing, but it's definitely just a, you know, a combination of um, getting the, getting the, the messaging and the marketing, the positioning figured out, uh, you know, so we're, 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 we're talking to the right people. We're having the right people coming to, to talk to us about signing up. Um, so they know what they're getting into. We know who we're talking to and, and what the, you know, our ideal customer is looking for. And then just having that much time to, to work on the product and, and get it ready and, and get, you know, as closer. I, I can't say that we're 100% there, but getting much, much closer to product market fit. Yep. yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Such an evolving process and it's not binary right it's a continuum it's like you notch it up from 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 60 70 and then oftentimes you'll find a new audience and i don't know in your tight niche if it'll do that but then you find a new audience that finds out about you and then your aggregate product market fit actually goes down again and then you have to work because the new audience you don't quite have it right you don't have sure. all the features yep. um as as we kind of wrap up i you know you're you're in tiny seed batch two yep. and um i'm curious why, like what made you decide to, well, first I'm curious how you heard about Tiny Seed, and second, what made you decide to apply? Because the application, you know, you went um, middle of, of 2019, you went full-time, mm -hmm. you would have applied probably four or five months later. It would have been November of 2019, yep. and then you would have been accepted, I think, you know, about six, seven months ago. So first, you know, where'd you hear about it, and second, what made you decide to apply? So I had been a listener of Startups for the Rest of Us for a long time. Um, so I, I, that's probably where I heard about it or just something related to that, that channel. 
Um, and the idea was to, it wasn't so much a, a, a safety net, so to speak, but it was originally planned to be kind of an accelerant. So there were some other parts of the, the platform that we really needed to, to reach, to, to really get our platform built out and get to parity and exceed parity with the other options out there. And the plan was to take that and really just kind of throw the fuel on the fire. I feel like, I felt like we had a really good idea of what we needed to do at that point, And I just wanted to do it faster, really. Yeah. And has it accelerated for you? Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Yep. Well, sir, we're at time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. All right, great having you. Thanks again for joining me this week. I look forward to chatting with you again on Thursday when you hear the next episode of MicroConf On Air. And then again next Tuesday, where we have another MicroConf Refresh episode from MicroConf Remote 2020.